Casper is an online retailer of awesome premium mattresses for a fraction of the price that you're used to paying. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash filmcast and using promo code filmcast. That's $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash filmcast and using promo code filmcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. My name is David Chen, and with me are... Vinder Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. And those sonorous tones you're hearing underneath us are the sounds of the new Ghostbusters theme song with uh, Fall Out Boy featuring Missy Elliott, guys. What do you think of this? Sonorous, uh, Dave? What do you think <laughs> of uh, this theme song, Jeff Kanata? I have to say, so the setup for this is uh, that I hadn't heard it before today, this morning, when you asked me to listen to it. And what I had heard was the massive internet outcry of uh, it is like someone puked in my ears and, you know, similar vivid descriptions. And I got to say, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's not great. It's not good. But it's not bad. It's not as like awful as I people make it out to. There's something heightened about this entire Ghostbusters experience that yes. people just want to decry it as being the worst thing. And I, I just, I'm not, I'm not on that page yet. I hope I'm never on that page. But uh, I, I, I guess I, uh, when I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, well, that's not very good. But I, I didn't hate it like a lot of people seem to be hating it. It's when I listened to this song that really the. Uh, the hate feeling started swirling in my person. Uh, really, you have it. You have hate for the song. True hate. Uh, not true not hate. I mean, song. it just it just yeah. is not very good. It's not, it's not great. It, it's but let's be bad. honest. You know, this, it's a remake of a song that is a blatant ripoff of another song. <laughs> yes. You know. Yes. So it's not like there's something sacred was. You know, we all remember. Uh, I ain't afraid of no ghost. But if you heard that today without any kind of 80s context, you would think that was the stupidest song you've ever heard. I'm, I'm talking more about, like, the melody of it. Like, it's – the original song was at least kind of catchy. It had, like, you know, the, with the weird 80s synth and stuff. Uh, but it was fun to listen to. I don't it's know. It's Huey maybe... Lewis of the News ripoff. It's, it uh, is. It is. It's, um, I need a new drug. It's the same song. Here's what is so frustrating about this new song <laughs> is they updated at certain points the phrase, who are you going to call to, who can you call? Guys, come on. You can't take away the who you're going to call. That grammatical gray area is what this song is all about. I ain't yes. afraid, ain't afraid. Now it's ain't afraid, right? Yeah. yeah. Seriously, come on. All right, anyway, I'm, I'm being fairly facetious here, uh, but I did not enjoy the song. And uh, I think one commenter at SlashFilm.com put it really well when he said, it's like they're trying to tell the people who are defending this film, myself included, to just give up. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and that is kind of how I felt when listening to the, You know, like this whole time I've been trying to say, like, hey, uh, let's, let's try to give this a chance. You know, I, I don't want to judge based on the trailer. Uh, at least if I haven't said that, I've been thinking it. And then this song kind of made me uh, less willing to do that. That being said... Still interested to see what the final film looks like. My favorite uh, comment was uh, Fallout Boy ruined my childhood. 
by naming their band Fall Out Boy instead of Fallout Boy. Which I think is is very funny because why is there a space between yeah. fallen out? There's no reason for that. It's it's. I mean, I think what we're saying, Jeff, is we need to be Fallout Boy's new copywriters. Is really, <laughs> is really what's going on here. Anyway, if you're just tuning into this podcast for the first time, find more episodes uh, at slashfilmcast.com. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail dot com. This week, we're going to be discussing what we've been watching, and then we're going to dive straight into our review of Independence Day Resurgence, which is the latest domino to fall in our summer movie wager. And I do mean fall in the sense that it has ruined a lot of our predictions. It did not do very well this weekend. I think it made $40 million, 40-something million, which means... Were we really betting on it very much, though? Uh, I think we all put it in our top ten. Yeah, hmm. many of us put it in within the top like five or six. Uh, so it's pro- it's almost definitely not going to make it to that point. Right. Right. Um, so it's it's looking pretty rough for us. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to one week where we uh, we come on here and we're like, hey, our, our predictions are doing pretty good <laughs> because yeah. that's not ever happened. <laughs> uh, agreed. agreed. <laughs> and yeah, Finding Dory every day, man, gets closer to overtaking Captain America Civil War yep. at yeah. a frightening pace. Anyway, yeah. uh, so that's what we all will be doing today. Uh, so why don't we get right into it? Let's talk about what we'll be watching. Uh, I have been watching a movie called The Wave this week which is a Norwegian disaster film. And uh, uh, this Blu-ray just came out. So got the Blu-ray. It's also out on Video On Demand. And uh, it is about what happens when a huge chunk of a mountain falls into a river, or actually I think technically it's a fjord, and uh, creates a tsunami that then... My worst nightmare. Yeah. Uh, that then wipes out you know, this uh, small Norwegian town. Uh, and it's kind of Norwegian's version of San Andreas in the sense that, uh, yeah, it's like this huge cataclysmic disaster that's going to happen. And uh, it's just a question of when. And here's what I, and it focuses on one dude's quest to, uh, you know, get his family in, in, in the wake of that situation. Uh, I really enjoy this film. Uh, it has a lot of the cliches that we normally see in disaster films. Uh, and when you see a lot of Roland Emmerich films, right, like Independence Day Resurgence and 2012 and Day After Tomorrow, uh, there are a lot of similarities. You know, they, they usually focus on one person or mm-hmm. uh, there's like one central character who's like – and it's usually about their family. Like it's always about getting their family back to safety uh, because that's really the only way we can have a sense of stakes when you're talking about killing thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. But what elevates this movie above a movie like San Andreas are a few things. Firstly, uh, the uh, sense of scale is actually really great. Uh, it, it focuses on one family almost exclusively, you know. And, and because the town that <laughs> this disaster takes place in is so small, you don't feel like there's hundreds of thousands of people dying who you don't care about. You feel like, oh, man, uh, I, I feel like I might know everyone in this town. Almost. Now it's just hundreds <laughs> of people you don't know. Yeah, it's just hundreds of people you don't know. And actually, that is uh, a palpable difference. Right, uh, right. The movie looks great. Uh, I was very curious about how a foreign film, which might not have access to uh, an American-sized budget, would be able to pull this off. And it's beautiful. Like it just This place that they shot at, it looks like it was shot on location, is amazing. It's gorgeous. Um, and... Separate to that, uh, the vast majority of effects they use, it feels to me, 
were practical, you know. So, uh, so they actually destroyed a town. No, the, the, <laughs> they that's really the only, dropped a mountain into a water. Wow. That's the only part that was not the case. But uh, w- compared to San Andreas, I felt like uh, the effects were a lot more believable to me. Uh, for the most part, there are some that look pretty bad. Uh, but uh, you, at you the know, end, it says no actual fjords were harmed. In the <laughs> that's, correct. <laughs> that's correct. That's uh, correct. Thanks to uh, the Rock for playing the mountain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, for for the most part, uh, they did a lot of stuff practically, um, and so. In San Andreas, there's so many times when it would be, you know, a character standing in the middle of something and then, you know, cut to wide shot of all this <laughs> devastation that you don't actually believe has happened. Uh, or just this city destruction that's going on that's so uh, over the top and larger than life that it doesn't, you just, your brain knows that it's not real. There's fewer of those moments in this film. And so I think it uh, uses these. Genre tropes in a really smart way and uh, uses uh, the uh, the budget and resources that they have in a really smart way and so uh, I think it's a it's a pretty solid disaster film and certainly a far more enjoyable disaster film than Independence Day Resurgence. So spoiler, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking for disaster films, you know, uh, to watch and quote unquote enjoy, I mean. How about just what? read the news? What? <laughs> what? What is it that you think people like about disaster films? You know, why do people? Because it makes it makes us feel like the world is not falling apart. Right. It makes us feel like compared to that. Yeah. You know, things are actually going pretty. Okay. Except now, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, speaking of disasters coming out of Britain, the Brothers Grimsby. Uh, I saw this movie as a one of my treadmill movies. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Basically, sometimes I will put a movie on my tablet device and watch it in chunks while I'm working out on the treadmill or on the bike or something. You are basically using it as as a way to motivate your run. You're you're basically running away from this movie constantly. <laughs> I'm trying to bike as far away from Brothers Grimsby as possible. Uh, I watched the Brothers Grimsby and uh, it was very very bad. <laughs> and I deeply regret the decision to watch it, and I just wanted you guys to know that. That's all. Okay. You couldn't. You couldn't do anything about it because you were on a bike. That's right. I was on Chained a stationary bike. bike, and yeah. I was trapped. I think uh, that. F- firstly, I actually remember this movie because it came out at the same weekend. I think as uh, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, our mm-hmm. colleague Dan Trachtenberg's film. Uh, and I remember Ten Cloverfield Lane just completely obliterating this film at the box office, which was uh, really nice to see. Uh, you know, this movie stars Sasha Baron Cohen and Mark Strong as brothers. They're actually believable, kind of as brothers from a from a looks perspective. And you know, uh, Mark Strong and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character are characters are orphans, brothers, and they were separated at some point in their youth. And Mark Strong's character became this secret agent and Sasha Bowen's char- uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character became kind of a screw up and, you know, lived in the outskirts of rural England. Uh, and anyway, they, they meet each other. They find each other. Sasha Baron Cohen finds Mark Strong while he's trying to assassinate someone. And instead of uh, shooting the person he's supposed to, Mark Strong accidentally shoots uh, a child who is infected with AIDS and the AIDS blood goes into Daniel Radcliffe's mouth, and Daniel Radcliffe gets AIDS. That's like mm. the, the opening of the film. So if you think that is hilarious... I think that's hilarious. Then you will enjoy <laughs> The Brothers Grimsby. Uh, 
And what how, was, well, let me let me ask you too. How is the action in this movie? The action is actually the best director. The action yes. is the best part. Is yeah. Louis Leterrier right? is is a really talented action director. And so when there's action scenes, the film roars to life in a way that it isn't. You know, at usually. And right. uh, so you're trying to tell me that the action in this movie <laughs> is better than Daniel Radcliffe Malfades. That's correct. And actually, wow. It felt high praise. It was very mean spirited because uh, the other movie, yeah, it was very mean spirited because usually they'll get (laughs) uh, the actor themselves to play themselves in the film, Uh and uh, and then you know they're in the film as kind of a funny like, oh, I can make fun of myself, (laughs) ha ha ha. Uh, they did not get Daniel Radcliffe. They just got someone who looks like Daniel Radcliffe to play <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe. Did he look enough like him that you believe that he actually got AIDS? It, it was it was close. It was it's pretty close. Set up for Swiss Army Man. It, yeah, it. Uh. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I, I saw it and I was like, "Is that Daniel Radcliffe?" You know, I kind of I had the question, "Is that Daniel Radcliffe?" It looked close enough that I wasn't sure if they actually got Daniel Radcliffe to play Daniel Radcliffe, but it it did feel mean spirited to me that they just had Daniel. Radcliffe. I, I don't know. I don't know what. Daniel Radcliffe's status is in Britain. I, I think it's more about his level of fame. He's just going after, yeah, yeah. one of the more famous people. Anyway, uh, that everybody movie, loves. The movie was not good, and it made me feel <laughs> bad uh, for watching it. And I don't think I laughed a single time while watching the film. <laughs> and uh, and I'm here to talk about it to make sure you guys don't okay. watch it. So I, I will probably watch it. Kabir in <laughs> the chat see. asked. If the person playing Daniel Radcliffe was Elijah Wood, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was that not. That would have been amazing. It was not Elijah Wood. It was Aww. not Elijah Wood, unfortunately. Um, anyway, Brothers Grimsby, not great. Finally, I wanted to talk about uh, a Blu-ray I recently bought, uh, the Steve Jobs Blu-ray. And yes, you know, great Jeff. Blu-ray. Yeah, we've yeah. we've argued about this movie before, and ultimately, you know, I've had a lot of. Uh, angst about this film. Yes, you have. I think that, uh, you know, in the wake of our uh, review of this film, I think uh, Walt Mossberg actually did a really good job of summing up a lot of the problems I have with this film. Uh, And I'm going to just... got to hang out with Steve a lot. Right. I'm going to quote... That that context is relevant when uh, reviewing a dramatic film. (laughs) I'm going to quote from his... (laughs) His column about uh, well done. I'm going to quote from his column about it is uh, the Steve Jobs portrayed in Sorkin's film isn't the man I knew. Sorkin chose to cherry pick and exaggerate some of the worst aspects of Jobs' character and to focus on a period of his career uh, of his career when he was young and immature. It would be as if you made a movie called JFK, almost entirely focused on Kennedy's womanizing and political rivalries, and said nothing about civil rights and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Sorkin opts to end his story just as Jobs is poised to both reel off an unprecedented string of world change products and to mature into a much broader kinder manager in person end quote uh and so you know i i, I was uh listening to the the sorkin commentary and he said that when he watched the movie with uh, andy hertzfeld uh, andy hertzfeld said you know none of that stuff happened but all of it is true yeah uh and uh, so I, I guess i've had angst around the movie basically because uh i felt it's uh, was not Aaron Sorkin's place to help define Steve Jobs' legacy in this way, but ultimately, Jeff, I really like this movie. <laughs> you know, yeah, so basically, after all that, you come down to where I was. I can't get away from the fact that I really like the movie. It has it's a great movie. It has all of the problems movie. that Aaron Sorkin movies have. You know, yeah. it is all about uh, the every all these uh, people around this one character, this tortured uh, asshole. Yeah, this yeah. Tor- like trying to unlock the greatness. 
of this tortured asshole, usually a, will save us usually a white man. Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, it, ha- it has all those problems that Aaron Sorkin's film usually has, but, man, there are some amazing uh, scenes and sequences of this film, some amazing dialogue. I waited very patiently to buy this film because, <laughs> uh, you know, it dropped to $10 on iTunes and uh-huh. other places, and I was like, I, I need to hold out for the Blu-ray <laughs> because the Blu-ray what's has... Your, what's your Blu-ray mark? $15? The, my Blu-ray like $15. mark, yeah, probably $13 or 10 <laughs> When it, this was, this movie was ten dollars. This movie was ten dollars, and I was like, "This is guys. This is the time. This is yes. my moment." Yes, was this to pull the trigger. On the blu- was to pull the trigger on the Blu-ray. I, I hate that the VOD doesn't have all the features of the Blu-ray. Yes. It is very irritating because yeah. you just have you have to keep. It's not just that it doesn't uh, have it; it's that sometimes it does have it. So you need to keep track of what's yeah. on the Blu-ray and what's and on the VOD, and then unclear. do I need to buy the like, yeah. you need to weigh, do I, is, are the special features good enough that I want to save for the Blu-ray? Anyway, so got the Blu-ray. It has commentary tracks from both Aaron Sorkin and Danny Boyle. And it is, these commentary tracks are awesome. And I'm so, so glad yeah. I waited for buying the Blu-ray because uh, the, the commentary track with Aaron Sorkin is kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Because at times he talks about the movie... Uh, like he's overall very complimentary on the film. Uh, like he he agrees with almost all the choices that were made. But mm-hmm. the movie was originally two hours and a half, so they yeah. cut like thirty minutes of Aaron Sorkin dialogue. And there are choices when you just kind of feel that Aaron Sorkin is being polite, and he says in the end, "Okay, I, ultimately I agree with the choice." But uh, what was hilarious was when Aaron Sorkin said, "You know, I remember at one point Danny Boyle talking to me and saying, okay, now at this scene.'" There's going to be Bob Dylan lyrics projected on the wall behind these characters. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron Sorkin's like, wait, can we, uh, can we not do that? Like, can we, do we have to uh, do this? And what is fascinating about the commentary, which you know, Aaron Sorkin has with the editor, is all the tricks they had to do, uh, they had to use to keep people interested in the narrative of the film, yeah, because yeah, it's just and also people talking. Yeah, it's just people talking. So they they pull out every single thing from their bag of tricks, like uh, the light, the color scheme of mm-hmm. the different rooms that they're in. You know, uh, projecting words on the wall, projecting images on the wall, using newsreel footage between the uh, acts. Um, kind of like the way they use inserts and B-roll. It, just the, set dressing too. Like there's set, that one scene where they're just chairs stacked up. And it's also yeah. a big climactic like. Argument, yeah, or inter, intercutting between yeah. what's going on in the stage with like what happens in the past. So yeah. it's just fascinating to hear the reasoning that went into uh, all the editing decisions behind mm-hmm. it, and like how uh, because it's just ninety minutes or two hours of people talking and having conversations, and how do you make that visually interesting, and how do you justify this? As a film, that's the process that they revealed in the commentary. And so it was totally worth it. And so I would say anyone who's interested in that kind of thing, which is to say how to maintain someone's visual interest in a film that is overwhelmingly just dialogue, uh, the commentary track's totally worth it. The so. technical aspects of that film are, ju- are just amazing. So, yeah, totally worth looking to the special features. And I also – I don't know if there were there was something in Daniel Pemberton's score, but I think that adds a lot to that movie. Just yeah. a fantastic score. 
Uh, I love that movie. Like, wh- whatever you say about the accuracy, I understand that it's not fully accurate. But what I think Sorkin was trying to convey was this larger truth, and I think he kind of hit on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think what Davinja is trying to say, Dave, is we accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. I'm the only person that listed Steve Jobs in my honorable mentions of uh, of 2015, I believe. Uh, so uh, it's a film who, like. As a piece of filmmaking, I think it's pretty brilliant. And then in terms of uh, what its ability to reshape the legacy of a person is, I'm far more ambivalent about that. And, you know, we could have endless conversations about that. But as a film, I agree. It's very enjoyable. And there's some there's some one-liners in there that are just, uh, I think, going to last in my mind for a very long time. Uh, despite all of its Sorkin-esque flaws, I, I still really enjoy it. So... Steve Jobs, the Blu-ray. I would check it out if you have a chance. All right, that's what I've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? Well, uh, what I wanted to talk about actually is um, some VR content that I've been enjoying, Um, video content specifically. Uh, It's interesting. I I have had my Vive for a while, but I recently got my Oculus, and I have both because I'm that guy. Uh, Very, you're that guy. Yeah, very passionate about VR. The the key, Very, Jeff, is never tell anybody you have both. I've learned this. I've learned this, yeah. I, I've, I've made a terrible mistake already. It's two minutes, 38 seconds into this discussion. Um, the, the, there's a lot of free video content on the Oculus store uh, as opposed to uh, the Vive, which is you know through Steam and it's really much more focused for interactive room scale content. There's a little bit of video content there and you can certainly enjoy a lot of the Oculus content on your Vive – but I didn't really delve into the world of you know narrative, uh, uninteractive content until I got my Oculus. And the video content is interesting. I, I think a lot of it is really um, not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you play a, a game or you or you watch uh, some of the excellent animated stuff, like uh, there's one called Henry that's free for in the Oculus Store. That is a like a, this little porcupine in his house. That's all you know, sort of a Pixar esque animated thing. Yeah. There's another one it's called Oculus the, trying to do Pixar. Kind of interesting, yeah. Yeah, and it's you know it's a short. It's it's just a it, a lot of these are just sort of look look what's possible. You know, this is a proof of concept. There's another one called The Invasion. That's about a little bunny rabbit that's there for the <laughs> the aliens coming down. They're all they're all really really good. But what I wanted to talk about specifically is like video content, real video content, because there's a lot of it. Now in the Oculus Store, there's a, there's a Hulu app, and Hulu is doing VR, you know, 360-degree video in Hulu. Discovery has its own app, and there are several dedicated VR video apps. Uh, one is called uh, VR Video. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that, but video with <laughs> an R in it. Vir-video. Yeah, Vir-video. Uh And another one's called Within. And um, mm-hmm. they have a variety of different experiences that you can drive, a variety of different narrative, non-interactive video content that it really is 360 video. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, live action stuff shot with 360 cameras where you can look wherever you want. And it, it is varying success rate <laughs> on it. Yes. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that really looks very bad. And it's, it's a shame because um, you don't have – I don't think you have that same problem with uh, – you know, computer generated content in the, in the headset, but the video content looks really low res, even though it isn't, it's shot very high res, but because of the state of the head mounted displays right now, a lot of the content looks kind of 
washed out and and I think rainy I think that. the fact is like some of it was also shot like a while ago too like so the, the right. equipment they're actually using maybe the the actual resolution numbers are high but whatever like it actually captured was not you know quality enough because it's not just it's not just like 4k for like a flat you know a little bit of rectangular video when you're talking about resolution it's all the pixels covering you know the entire yeah. 360 degrees so exactly. everything gets a little yeah it's not as sharp as normal video so having said that I want to say that despite those limitations, there's some very compelling things uh, in in video. And and some interesting artists are doing some really cool stuff. There's one, I think it's called Flight or something like that or Mm -hmm. Rise or something like that. And it's like it's got all these big famous people, Charlize Theron and Michael Fassbender and Benicio Del Toro. And and it's a really brief thing. But you start on the the street of New York and then you like shoot up into the sky – uh, and again, you're not in control of any of this. It's just happening. But there's no nausea. It's 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 really cool. And you kind of shoot up in the sky, and then all these famous people in the stars, you know, stars in the stars. If you can get that metaphor, um, and they come and they're doing kind of slow motion, strange things. And it's all around you, and you're spinning in your seat. And it, it isn't anything other than an art project, but it's really interesting. Um, you know, there's a there's a bunch of stuff like that. You can go to the the streets of Sarajevo in in certain ones. You can you know you can experience the Grand Canyon. There's a lot of mm-hmm. neat sort of nature documentary stuff. But the one that struck me the most, and the one I want to talk about specifically, because I think it for me highlights a lot of the potential here, is in in the Within app. There is a sequence from the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live. Where uh, Jerry Seinfeld – I don't know if you guys watched the 40th anniversary Saturday Night Live yeah, uh, yeah. special. But basically it was a st- complete star-studded you know, black tie event and Jerry Seinfeld did the opening monologue. And this is the complete opening monologue uh, that Jerry Seinfeld delivered for that night. And there's a 360-degree camera sitting on top of the regular television camera mm. and you are inside that for lack of a better – description you you are you are that camera your perspective is that camera so you can watch jerry deliver his monologue and again the video quality isn't great but what's so amazing is you can look wherever you want mm-hmm. and in this particular yeah. in this particular night and on saturday night live the entire audience is the most famous people in the world right it, it, there's no one in the audience who is not a triple a famous person and you can just watch them you can turn around in your seat and look at whomever you want and they don't know they're on camera because Mm -hmm. this is a television uh you know production they when the camera is on it's on one thing it's not on everything yeah they think they're (laughs) safe and you feel like the most voyeuristic person who gets to like I'm staring at Adam Sandler who's like leaning forward in his seat and super giddy to watch Jerry Seinfeld and is completely unselfconscious and I, you know I can watch Leonardo DiCaprio or uh I mean the list goes on and on Tom Hanks is sitting there leaning <laughs> over in his seat and 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 chatting with someone I can look at the the stagehands below me who are you know frantically running around trying to make sure everything's going smoothly I it, it, is an, it is a remarkable experience and it, it, you feel like this fly on the wall that you've kind of always wanted to be of I can look at whatever I want to look at and nobody knows I'm here. 
And I know that won't last forever as these technologies get more and more commonplace. People will be more and more aware that there's probably a camera on them at all times. But this experience was so interesting to me because I was in control, right? I got to decide where the camera was pointed. I got to look where I wanted to look and see the the details of how everybody else was reacting to stuff. And it really made me feel uh, a, a different – it made me appreciate the, that moment in time in a completely different way. That, that's kind of the key to VR for me, right? You're not just watching something. You're not just kind of a passive viewer. It is almost as if you are living it, like you're experiencing it in a very different way, right? So you're – I think people are talking about this too. Like you're forming – memories of actually being at that thing rather than the memory of sitting and watching that thing on your couch or something. And that's, that's, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes. What I love about this, uh, a lot of this VR stuff is that you could do it in Google cardboard too, you know, like a cheap little box to stick your phone in or the gear VR or whatever. Like, so you don't need the Oculus. You don't need the Rift or the Vive for a lot of this stuff. And that's going to make it, you know, really accessible. That uh, review, Jeff, of the within app totally went in a different direction than I thought it would. (laughs) Basically, I recently went to the, the Sasquatch Music Festival and uh, was reflecting with uh, someone who works there about how uh, this this festival has tons of uh, artists, dozens of artists, and it's a great experience, uh, but you need to drive out into the desert for three hours to get to it. And how great would it be if there was like a 360 camera just there in front of the stage mm-hmm. and you could just like stay at home and put on this thing and experience a concert you know remotely uh i think a lot of people would really uh enjoy that experience yeah i mean it wouldn't be the same but it would be nice it would be uh, it would be it wouldn't be correct uh and so that's why i thought you were going jeff was hey man this performance you feel like you're actually there and experiencing it versus wow i get to peep on the inner lives of celebrities yeah (laughs) if you're actually there you can't peep on people you know so right now you're this little creep I guess you could phrase it that way, and I, and I, I did feel very voyeuristic, but I think I, – I don't, I don't mean it to come across as like, oh, I got to look at the lives of stars. It just was like, hey, I'm, I'm a, a fly on the wall. I'm, I'm not – the content isn't directed towards me. I get to perceive it how I want. Right. And, and that's the that's the complete difference here. And I think Devinder's talking about it too. It's it's that this is just happening, and I'm observing it rather than hey, a, a person decided to show me this. Right. Uh, the the other end of the spectrum, there is also a YouTube music video on this within app uh, that is strange, and I don't think is particularly. Um, High quality. It doesn't feel very high quality. It has that, those same problems we talked about at the top. But uh, what's happening is you are in the center of U2. What, they've decided to start playing their song and they're sitting, in a, they're sitting in a circle, right? Like around a campfire type of a thing. And you are the campfire <laughs> in this metaphor. You, you are in the middle of the, the circle and they are all playing and staring directly at you. <laughs> And you, you can rotate in your seat 360 degrees like the drummer's behind you, Bono's in front of you, the edge is to the right of you. You know, it's – they're all there and they're all singing and playing, staring right at you. So you keep – you look over and Bono is, is making eye contact with <laughs> you, you know. And it's a very 
strange experience. It's not particularly pleasant. Yeah. Just imagine when we get haptics too, so you'll start to feel that phantom like touch if they ever reach out and grab you. Right. And this is so much. Like, this is so much like my dreams. It's scary. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so so Jeff, uh, and where, do, where what was the name of that app? That you it's, just it's a, that's within. Those within but there's a whole bunch of them, yeah. and they all have. Mm-hmm. Variant. New York I mean, Times go- has been making a lot of great VR video content. Yeah. So yeah. to be to be clear though, uh, it is still out of reach for a lot of people in the sense that if you want to experience it with the Vive, it is what six hundred dollars plus a yeah. computer to run it, right? Yeah. That's but right. you don't so, you don't need that. That's my bigger point too. Mm-hmm. Is that for a lot of the stuff, you stick your phone in to a Google Cardboard box that costs ten bucks. If that you get it free in some places, put headphones on. That's it. You can do within on the, uh, the one of the Google apps. Is that true? Uh, yeah, they have an iOS app, so I assume there's an Android app too. Hmm. Well, everything just, that's just that's on the uh, Oculus Store, it's it's one store across you know Samsung Gear VR and all that too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. there's stuff that won't work, but I think these apps will work on. I haven't tested them myself, but I think Avengers right. I think they will work on on cardboard. Cool. Well, uh, some interesting stuff going on and. Uh, I don't have cardboard, but I, I it, like it works on an iPhone, right? So you can just get cardboard yes, strapped on the iPhone. Get a box, it's just a box. Just <laughs> within, the no, within does work on the iPhone. There's okay, thing. cool. Yeah. All right, well With then cardboard. people can uh, try it out, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, what Jeff's been watching. How about you, Devendra? What have you been watching? Oh, I just want to throw a shout out for the uh, the next season of Orange is the New Black uh, that just uh, went live on Netflix. Uh, I think a week or two ago. This is uh, season four. Season yeah. four. And have to say, like, I am fully on board with this show. I talked about season three, uh, about, like, how it seems a show is just, like, found its groove. It knows what it wants to do. It wants to tell stories about women. It wants to tell stories about people of color uh, in ways that most other TV shows don't have a chance to. And I love that it got away from the, uh, you know, the greater, the introductory plot line about Piper Chapman and, like, her experience there. Because that is the least interesting thing about the show. And that was much of season one and season two to kind of get us into this environment. And, you know, with season three and this season, like the show is just building everybody else, all the other characters. Um, I love the interpersonal drama. I love the backstories we're seeing from it. Um, It's just a really it's it's a really smart and empathetic show. Like it's uh, I've been seeing articles describing it as torture porn. And I don't I don't understand how you can see that because this isn't a show where bad things happen just for the sake of happening. Bad things are happening because, you know, people have made decisions in their lives, and this is a story about people in a prison, and it's stuck. It it sucks. Like, uh, that is not a great experience for most people. And I'm continually fascinated about how this show, like, finds joy in that experience and, uh, you know, how it's exploring these lives. So, season four, still good. I'm about halfway through. Um, So, I know there's, like, some dramatic stuff that's going to be happening. Uh, But I love it. It's fantastic. Um, Have you guys been keeping up at all? I'm far behind, but I I always said, you know, this is the show. Origins of the New Black is Mm -hmm. what lost thinks it was like lost wanted this to be this weird thing where these people are in this purgatory and then you find out the stories behind mm-hmm. all of them mm-hmm. and it's this like anthology show of all these different stories but it never really worked and orange is the new black is that it's exactly yes. what yeah. that promise was yeah every time you get a little bit of the past then it makes you rethink and rethink these characters and kind of go back through earlier episodes and tell us you know what does this you know history mean for this situation or something yeah so, lost always I, said it's not about, it's not about the the main story it's about what we're trying to do is tell these stories of these people's back lives and everybody's right, like no right. no just tell us what the frick is wrong with the <laughs> island 
And, you know, Orange is the New Black managed to make that because nobody cares about yes. the story of the prison. <laughs> the prison. Well, and actually in these, I think in the last season, this season too, the actual prison story about like what's happening, it's diving more into stories about like uh, what what it, what private, uh, private prisons mean and how kind of how messed up, like how a profit driven uh, prison center um, or prison setup could be and the problems around that too. So that's all explored. Mike, Berbig- uh, Mike Berbiglia joined last season and he shows up a little this season too as like one of those corporate uh, prison drones. It's just, it's a really funny show. It's a really heartfelt show. I just, I love everything about it. Uh, so Jeff, how far through the series did you get? I did the first two seasons and then I, I, we never, my wife mm. and I never watched season three. So um, we're back. We're, pretty behind i'm 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 in a a weird situation with season three uh watched the first like six seven episodes of season three yeah with some friends yeah uh that actually you know brian and heather Uh nice uh and former roommates former roommates yeah some stuff happened in my life some stuff happened in their life and then we stopped our (laughs) weekly or bi-weekly appointments to watch and then now i don't know what to do (laughs) You what know, like, do? should I continue? <laughs> uh, I you continue. Honestly, these episodes are good enough that you'll probably end up seeing them twice. Sh- should we recommit so. and then do the rest of uh, the season three together? You know, it's the great quandary of our times. Yeah, it is. They have children, Dave, so I assume their schedule's a lot crazier than yours. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. <laughs> um, so, so we usually we usually watch it after they put their kids down. Um, uh-huh. But anyway. Uh, Jeff, these are the things you're going to have to deal with soon. I yes. know. Don't 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 remind me. <laughs> this show is going to be like, hey, Jeff, what have you been watching? Nothing. Just let me sleep. <laughs> been watching my child. Yeah. That's Orange is the New Black season four, uh, and it's on Netflix right now. Uh, so I will have to figure out a way to get back <laughs> into it. I, um, yeah, it's worth it. This is one of the most interesting things happening on TV right now. Yeah. And it saddens me that I hear people downplay the show, or it makes me really sad when I see like freaking House of Cards get more play and more. It does seem to get show. more marketing love. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, a few things I, I wanted to point out that have happened uh, in the chat room and on Twitter while we've been broadcasting. Uh, so, uh, Third Illusion in the chat room says Google Cardboard is a travesty. Mobile VR is like a viewmaster compared to the Vive or Rift. Jeff, have you tried mobile VR before? I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that, but it's you're talking in, about like something. It's better than nothing. Here's the thing. It like it's it you're sticking what you have in your pocket into a cardboard box. The fact that it gets anything <laughs> vaguely resembling VR, I, I give it credit for that. Yes, it's not the same as an $800 VR headset. I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, it works much better than you would expect, and it's actually pretty compelling experience. Mm-hmm. But You could take it somewhere, show it to people. It's portable. Like There are, yeah. there are a lot of good reasons for Doing and and again, comparing something that they've given away for free <laughs> to thousands of people, and it really would cost you like ten dollars to you know a six hundred dollar headset is it's pretty obvious what the result is going to be on that. I, I have to say too, like I found that watching uh, a VR video on the Oculus and the Vive, it almost feels like it doesn't feel like I'm getting the full value of that system because yeah, most of the time I'm watching low quality video feeds. Like clearly, the camera system is generations older than whatever is out there right now. So I'd rather just be watching like games and actual 3D worlds on these headsets. Mm. Uh, also wanted to point out some box office numbers came out today. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday morning. And by the way, if you want to tune in live, uh, we've been moving around the time a little bit. We used to do Monday night pretty consistently, but scheduling hasn't worked out. Just follow us on Twitter, uh, me, Devendra, and Jeff on Twitter. And we usually tweet out when we broadcast live so you can participate in the chat. 
but yeah, they just uh, released box office numbers for the weekend. And Neon Demon, the new film by Nicholas Winding Refn, which I think we're going to review in a few weeks, uh, came out with their numbers. It made $606,000 out of uh, 783 theaters. And that is not very good. The per screen (laughs) average is $775. That is brutal. To give you a sense of other notable per screen averages, Steve Jobs, a movie I talked about earlier in this episode, per screen average opening weekend was $130,381. So that is over 100 times more uh, from a per (laughs) screen average. Uh, And I I just think it's interesting to observe just because uh, this is Amazon Studios, one of their first theatrical releases so there's a question of whether they can actually open a movie but there's also the question of whether this is a movie that lends itself to being you know opened in a big way on the indie scene so uh i'm sure we will talk more about that in the coming weeks uh when we actually uh, see the film all right and the other thing i wanted to mention guys is you know we were talking about blu-rays earlier and i wanted to ask you guys about extended editions and Mm -hmm. this is something i thought we had left behind during the dvd era double dipping right and we've seen double dipping happen sometimes uh like with the hobbit extended trilogy or something like that but there have been not that many extended editions i feel of prominence uh and maybe i'm just not remembering that many of them but one of them recently came out, the Martian Extended Edition. That hmm. Blu-ray came out very shortly after uh, the Blu-ray for the actual, uh, the, you know, the theatrical cut. Uh, but perhaps more notably, Batman v Superman Extended Edition more coming out, coming out yeah. very soon. Uh, and I guess I was curious if uh, this is something that you guys were planning on revisiting. I'd probably watch it just to see what the what what is going on. It, I don't expect it would make me think much better in the movie jeff canada do you think you're gonna try the extended cut is this something that you're uh, i don't know if i can put myself through that again <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> it is interesting i you know it feels like this extended cut only happened because there were bad reviews like if yeah. the movie had come out mm-hmm. to great reviews we wouldn't have gotten an extended yeah. cut i don't i don't know i don't think that's like true but i agree that right. it does feel that way <laughs> or maybe it came out sooner. Like uh, we're you, saying, you all just sorts can't. Of weird things. You just yeah. can't make the. I don't think you can make the preparations like that quickly for right, an extended right, right. cut. But it's interesting um, seeing how they're responding to the bad reviews, right? Like the set reviews for that Justice League movie, right, went up this week, which isn't is insane. So weird, isn't that's it so, so weird? weird. Normally they wait a year, and now yeah. they're like, oh, by the way, like let's just talk about this movie now. Like, like yeah, they're they're actively doing games. damage control. I think so. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know. Typically, uh, they'll invite bloggers and press to a set visit, and then they go, and then you write down all your notes for the set visit, and then you just sit on it Wait for a year. a year until the yeah. movie comes out, uh, and then you release it around the time when the movie's going to come out. So it's kind of publicity for the film, and you got to see the, the set visit, and everyone benefits from that. Uh, but they are, releasing, they are releasing the embargo for set visits for Justice League. Now, like this week, they release them, right? So, well, it's not only that. It's, hey, we specifically invited people that hated the movie. <laughs> All of our messaging is, hey, it's different. We, we've learned. We, it's going to have a bigger, better tone. It's, it's weird. It's a weird, like, apology tour. Uh, and I don't, but yeah. I don't know if that gives me more confidence. I've, it, it, I, what they're trying to say is, hey, we're listening to you guys. And I think generally that's a positive thing. But in this case, it 
it makes me more worried. Why, you know, why it's like, is that? Like, yeah, I, I guess it's a quite an open question of yeah. what do we prefer in our artists? Like, do we prefer that they listen and respond to criticism, or do we prefer, prefer that they just do their own thing? Because sometimes you need to just ignore the haters if you want to be an artist, right? I mean, well, it's, it's not only yeah, yeah. It, it, being reactionary is a double-edged sword because, yeah, we want you to take our criticisms to, to heart and, and we want a movie to get better based on, you know, the the discussion around it. But in this case, it felt like there was this massive plan, right? We're going to do 4,800 movies and they're all planned out and we're, you know, starting production on the Justice League movie as the Batman v Superman movie is, is out. So, like, we're starting shooting as that's being released. Oh, wait, you guys hate it? Okay, everything's different. You know, it's it's like... <laughs> It, it's it's damage control. It is a little desperate. Yeah, it's a lot of things. And, and what you're saying, Jeff, is it would be different if uh, they hadn't all like started production at around the same time. You know, I like, think it would be different if if it if it felt like okay, this movie came out. We're gonna sit. We're gonna digest it. We're gonna right, kind of right. come back critically and think about what we got right and what we got wrong and how we can form this and maybe bring in some new new minds to this or new hands to this to this job and and really kind of. You know, take some time to figure it out, but it, it is all so shotgunned, and it's mm-hmm. all so, it, you know, has felt desperate from the beginning of like we got to get ourselves a Marvel kind of thing going on. So let's get it all in there and do it as fast as possible. And it, it, it feels like okay, well, you guys want you want Batman and Superman in a movie? Okay, let's make that. Oh no, no, you you don't want that. Uh, what do you want? You want to hold Justice League? We got that. Okay, you want it to be funny? <laughs> we'll do. We'll make funny. We'll make. Fun. It's, it just yeah. feels so yeah. like. It feels ADD, you know. And Same for Batman versus Superman too, right? The whole Bruce Wayne reaction to to Metropolis being destroyed, like felt like that came out of the conversations right after Superman, um, right after Man of Steel. So right. I, I, right. I, I would prefer they're not just responding uh, to what people are saying and doing instead like what Jeff is suggesting, like digest, like let's let's think on this a little. Let's not just like go the complete opposite way or like do something directly against the criticisms, but let's like look at the deeper problems here. Uh, all right, so Jeff Kanata, extended edition year and a. I, I feel in, in like in general or in this particular movie. In this particular, I, I guess I just feel like I have to watch it. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I, I guess I just feel like we gave this movie such yeah. a slagging off uh, three months ago, and this this extended edition adds thirty minutes. Oh, and God. if there is a better film in there, mm-hmm. you know that we owe it to ourselves or our sure, listening sure. public to. To check it out, and maybe um, maybe there is something good within that, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's not that many films in the world where there's an extended edition, and then I watch it and I think to myself, "Wow, what a what a massive it's improvement!" Rare. It's a rare well, thing. Kingdom of Heaven. Kingdom right? of Heaven That's is, like the, the, is the prototypical yeah. example, right? But are there any really other ones where you thought? Man, those Hobbit films really needed to be an extra half hour long. I do think the Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings extended has some interesting material, yeah. But I don't know that I think those are better films. Right. right, right. What about Blade Runner? But that's not really extended. That's that's just kind of a. It's just completely recut, you know. Um, They shifted things. The final cut has like different special effects and stuff, you know. It's Mm -hmm. all. It's a dramatically different film. But I agree. I actually think the final cut uh, of Blade Runner, I think that's what it's called, is pretty freaking yeah. good. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, there's not there's not that many of them out there, um, so it's unlikely this will be one of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, and they they also don't make these extended cuts f- 
to generally make the movie better. It's generally like, oh, we cut this. Yeah. Uh, let's put this back in for fans. And it's really fan right. service. Is what these it's really fan service. Really and and more, yeah. more times, it makes the movie worse. Like, I think of yeah. uh, Terminator 2. You know, that was yeah. one of the first Blue, uh, DVDs I ever owned that had, like, <laughs> three different cuts of the film on it. And it was super interesting to, to see the different cuts and hear why yeah. they chose the cut they went with. And but you could it, definitely look at a scene like Schwarzenegger smiling and be like, what, what was it? Was that the joke? Yeah, flip? but this, oh, this whole like imagined aftermath of John yes. Connor being old yes. and being a senator and stuff, it's like, you don't want any of that in the actual film. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I, that being said, Jeff, I, the reason I bring it up and the reason we're talking about it is just because I have a lot of anxiety about going back <laughs> to this film and I'm working it out here on the podcast as usual. Yeah, um, I that being said, I do. <laughs> and I want I really you to come like with the... me. I want you to come with me on this journey, Jeff. That's what I'm Maybe we should I do a re review, guys. I no. That movie was uh, excruciatingly long, and to yes. think that another yes. half an hour is going to make that it That wouldn't better? solve the fundamental problems, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that being said, the Days of Future Past Rose, Rogue Cut, I really enjoy because it's nice seeing that character back, although she's not super essential to the story. And uh, the Wolverine, the James Mangold Wolverine Extended Edition, that thing is batshit insane, and I love it. <laughs> it's right. so crazy. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, Jeff, you know, I, I've been talking about how it would just bother me if uh, <laughs> I wasn't able to see this extended cut and know that maybe there is a watchable version of Batman v Superman out there. Uh, something like that is likely to keep me awake at night. You know, oh, I know, man, especially it's, when you're all uncomfortable and you can't, you know, your, your mattress is lumpy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, when you have like a really uncomfortable mattress and you're trying to sleep, knowing that there is a extended cut out there that you don't really want to watch, but you kind like of feel opposite- like you have to. It's the opposite of Christmas morning. It's like I have to wake up in the morning and watch more Batman v Superman. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, But fortunately, there is a mattress out there that can help you get sleep in this situation. It's a Casper mattress. Uh, And what they do is they make incredibly comfortable, incredibly affordable mattresses that are super convenient. They ship it straight to your door. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 to start with for a twin-size mattress and up to $950 for a king. But Dave, if I'm going to set aside, what, like three and a half, four hours of my life to watch Batman v Superman recut, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to have much time to go shopping for mattresses, wandering around stores, testing things out. That's right, Jeff. A uh, six-hour viewing session of a uh, Batman v Superman extended cut is probably not going to leave you that much time. So uh, fortunately, Casper Mattress not only ships to your door, but they give you the ability to get the mattress completely risk-free with a 100-night home trial. So if you don't like it, right, you just try it out, you don't like it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. They understand the importance of sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on the mattress, and another third of your life. Third of your life watching Batman <laughs> v Superman. Third, another third is going to be spent watching the Batman v Superman extended cut. So why not make sure the other two thirds are uh, well spent on mattresses like Casper? So anyway, we have a great offer for slash Filmcast listeners. Go to Casper.com/slash/Filmcast. Use promo code Filmcast. 
to get $50 towards any mattress purchase. That's casper.com slash filmcast. Use promo code filmcast. Get $50 off any mattress purchase. Casper mattresses are already super affordable, uh, but with this $50 off, it becomes even more affordable, even more of a no-brainer. Uh, I sleep on a Casper mattress, and uh, I have a good time. So that is our sponsor for this week, casper.com slash filmcast, promo code filmcast. Thanks to Casper for sponsoring us. Thanks also to the people who donate to our show, uh, James from Greenwich, Connecticut, and also new subscriber John G. from Charlottesville, Virginia. You can always donate to the Slash Filmcast by going to SlashFilm.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, all that money goes to defraying the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show. We really appreciate it. Let's get to our review of Independence Day Resurgence. I can't believe it's been 20 years. Still going to take your father to the anniversary? We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. On this day in 1996, the world escaped the clutches of extinction. Your father was the bravest man I've ever seen. We all lost someone we love. But in their sacrifice, we found the technology to build a stronger and safer Earth. Because our survival is only possible when we stand together. That was from the trailer of Independence Day Resurges, the newest film by director Roland Emmerich. Uh, and I, I got to talk to you guys about Independence Day first. You know, mm-hmm. I think we've had some contentious words being thrown around Jeff Kanata about Independence Day from 1996. Specifically, you know, what did you think of that film? I don't think you enjoyed that film very much, right? Oh, I did not. No. <laughs> What no, did, did you not. not? What did you not like about it, Jeff? Um, the m- most of it, uh, I, I, you know, I, I thought um, <laughs> I thought it was pretty bad from start to finish. I mean, it's it is a big dumb movie, and I think a lot of people enjoyed it for being a big dumb movie. But I I don't I don't find much joy personally. I think anybody listening to the show knows me by now. The big dumb part, I have a hard time setting aside. It's a rare movie that's big and dumb that I end up enjoying um you know a lot of people can go along on that ride for me you know when we're hacking an alien thing with our macbook uh you know in a spaceship i'm like i hate you movie right Uh, right (laughs) and and uh, there there were some some silly things there were some over-the-top uh visual things that in 1996 seemed pretty transgressive and crazy Mm -hmm. uh you know oh my god the white house just blew up that sound seemed so transgressive. A movie hadn't really done that before. It was a striking image. It was an amazing thing to see at this scale of this kind of thing. We're in a pre-9-11 world. We didn't see, you know, chaos on this scale uh, on the big screen before. It was it – w- it felt very impactful. And so mm-hmm. uh, that aspect of it felt fresh and interesting and new. We're past that now. But at that time – uh, that was at least an interesting visual note, but the movie itself I just found to be completely ridiculous mm-hmm. and, and dumb. Devinder Hardware, what were your thoughts on Independence Day? I, I definitely remember liking Independence Day a lot You know, during the 90s. And when I first saw it, there's a lot of reasons why that movie works as a crowd pleaser. Right? You got Will Smith in like a great role. You have this amazing buildup to you know the people seeing these alien ships and like then it destroys uh these major landmarks and then you have the rest of the movie which is not very good and then you get to the point where yeah you're hacking an alien ship with a with a computer 
And, you know, all logic goes out the window. I, I think there's there's some really fun bits in the first Independence Day, but it kind of falls apart. Yeah. I uh, I really enjoyed Independence Day 1. Uh, when last have you seen it? Let me ask you this. Um, not in the last few years. That movie does not hold up well. Like, the compositing effects and a lot of those special effects are just are, are rough. I, I don't They're know. I've seen some good. of those effects recently, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that... Uh, they used really amazing miniatures for yes, for those for effects, some of them, and they don't use that many miniatures anymore. You know, especially for Independence Day Resurgence, and I think you can tell. You know, I, I just think it looks different when you when you use an actual physical miniature than when you do it all on the computer. It's, I mean, it sure does, but they also have to composite those miniatures with like you know normal scale. It's true. Scenes. So it all looks and that looks bad. It all looks more like of a piece. You know, in Independence yes. Day Resurgence, like there's no elements that are jutting out that feel really uh, like they don't belong. But I would argue that a lot of the visual effects in Resurgence don't look that good. You know, they look pretty. Well, it looks like actors standing now. in front of green clean. screen. Yeah. Um, well, but, the other the, the other thing about the first Independence Day is we when we got that movie, we weren't getting Star Wars movies. Right. There were no. There was <laughs> yeah. no. It was like, oh my gosh, we had Stargate. It, right. Yeah. But that didn't have big, awesome, uh, you know, uh, spaceship fights. There were no giant intergalactic, you know, laser fights on the big screen. It was like, thank you, somebody's finally making this. We want it. Uh, it's a, it was a different time. It was a different, different time. time. The 90s were rough. So all that being said, I think Independence Day, the first, uh, was very enjoyable. Big, dumb, fun. Like you mm-hmm. said, Will Smith in a very charismatic role. Bill Pullman giving one of the great movie president speeches of all time which actually is kind of part of the opening of this film inexplicably. Uh, and uh, the special effects I thought were pretty impressive for the day. And so all, add all those things up and it was yeah. a, an enjoyable film, not one of my... It's a good sit yeah, in 1996. It's a yeah. good sit in 1996, that's right. Uh, not one of my favorite films of all time, but just <laughs> I, I have no ill will for it yeah. and I don't seem to have the kind of disdain for it that you have, Jeff. Uh, so I know you weren't looking forward to this, Jeff. <laughs> oh, my not, question not for little, you... Not even a little bit. Independence Day Resurgence, you know, did it overcome your negative expectations going in? This is a great movie, you guys. He didn't <laughs> say ever. Uh, I was about to hang well, up. You really got me. You wow. really got me there, Jeff. <laughs> no, this is a great uh, movie. Not. <laughs> this, is, this is terrible on every level. It's, and the thing, I, you know, I tweeted out uh, that the movie was bad and people were like, Oh, but is it, like, fun bad? Is it, like, oh, it's so bad it's good? No. No, it is not. There's, it's not even fun bad. It's just bad. Uh, on every level, the, the, the idea behind this movie, the execution of it, the script. I mean, this is the kind of movie where everyone in the first act talks in that way that movies do, where you tell a person – like what, what you do and what, what, what you're you do doing and there. who you are and yeah. that shared information that we both know that no one needs to say, but I'm going to say it out loud so I can exposition it real good. Um, there's a scene where one character tells another one character is like in a coma and the, a person walks into the room and goes, you've been in a coma for 7300 days <laughs> to a person in a coma. Who can't hear them? And then, and then, know when they wake up. The very next moment in the movie, that person wakes up and goes, "How long have I been out?" 
So as a screenwriter, you gave yourself a way to get that information to the audience, but you didn't use it. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, everybody in the beginning is like, man, I've just got out of the academy and I'm so angst ridden. You know, I mean, they, they say their subtext out loud. It, every, the, the first action moment, which is supposed to uh, establish our main character as the like roguish, devil may care, uh, bad boy Han Solo type who will go against his captain's orders to get the job done. It's it's so boring and banal. Like what he does <laughs> is so uninteresting. And, and why and yet, would you tell him not to do that? Too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're all going to die if he doesn't do that. <laughs> right, right. And how <laughs> exactly? <laughs> and and the the like the crisis is so stupid. Like oh, this thing that we were all doing, it just it just didn't work the way we thought it was going to. It's. Uh, and then, okay, and then there, it is an excruciatingly long buildup to what we all came for, which is <laughs> aliens are coming, but we have to spend so long re-meeting all of the characters from the first movie because they all have to be back in it. And I will say, if there's any one bright spot in this movie, it's Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. And Brent Spiner. Come on. Yeah, yeah, Brent Spiner, Brent Spiner is so giving he is giving it his all yeah, in this Brent film. Brent Spiner yes. is the only one who understands what kind of movie Brent he's Brent Spiner in. gave us his bare ass in this movie, you know. Like yeah. he giving it his all. Yeah. He's the only one that understands that it was supposed to be so bad it's good. Yes. And he's, he's like yes. I'm in that movie. I understand. Yep. Everybody else in this movie is really trying to make a good movie and <laughs> and meanwhile Jeff Goldblum could give less of a shit. Like he just <laughs> he's just wry and stupid and uh, you know and he lo- he I think he is so great because of how underplayed and yes. he's just he's just Jeff Goldblum. He's right? rolling he's, with the insanity of what's happening in this world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is it, there are characters. There are so many characters in this movie. First of all, <laughs> and, and the movie struggles so hard to give them moments. Like why? Uh, there, there's like a comic relief character for some reason that is this like pencil pushing guy that is, <laughs> there's no reason for him to be in yeah. this movie um uh what's the J- name judd of hirsch reason? drives around a bus for no judd reason why is judd hirsch in this movie and How we like he's still alive <laughs> we give him kids for some reason and like there are there are like big characters that we're supposed to care about that get like introduced in the third act that like we're supposed to care who they are and what's going on with them there are I mean, we're going to talk about more in spoilers, I'm sure, but it, this movie can't be spoiled. Can, yeah, can we just say? Can we just say like spoilers starting? Okay, okay, fine. That's Come fine. Come all right, there, there all are right. big plot developments. All right, leading right. to the Independence Day franchise, oh, guys. Okay, and your kinetic universe. Okay. You're right, Dave. That like the green screen is all over the place in this movie, <laughs> and it is very bad and very obvious. Uh, all it, constantly. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on, and we will in spoilers, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> Devendra Hardwar, your thoughts on the Independence Day research? I was pretty much expecting Jeff's reaction there, so thank you, Jeff, for fulfilling everything I wanted uh, from <laughs> the pure hatred of this movie. I definitely didn't have uh, any high hopes going into it. You know, I was, I was kind of dreading this. I also uh, I took my wife and my mother-in-law to see it, too, so uh, I paid a lot of money to see this movie Ooh. that I really didn't want to see. Uh, but you know what? I actually had a lot of fun with the first half 
of this movie. Really? Um, because it's uh, it it definitely doesn't have the same build up as the first Independence Day. And there is no Will Smith. You know, there is a character playing his like stepson in this film. Um, you know, that character is back. Uh, I don't know why. Do we remember that kid? Um, but he's here trying to be Will Smith, and he is not good. So apparently, I, Will, so from, from some backstory there, Will Smith mm-hmm. apparently asked for fifty million dollars mm-hmm. to return to Independence Day uh, two and three, which is kind of his way of saying I yeah. don't want to be in Independence Day two and three. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're like, okay, well you're dead now. So, so he's dead. He's killed off screen, and then they replaced him with Jesse T. Usher. Yes. Uh, who plays Will Smith's son in the film. And so think he of all is the so charisma he, Will Smith has, I, yeah. and think of the opposite of that. I think Matt Singer wrote this burn that was so sharp. Uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> he said, Jesse T. Usher makes Liam Hemsworth looks like, look like Chris Hemsworth, which is just <laughs> <laughs> the most brutal what? of right. burns. That is, so that, that is a double bird. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there is yeah no charisma there. Yeah, uh, in the in this film, in this film, I'm sure he's a talented actor. I'm just saying this film yep. does not give him an opportunity to you know he like Sam Worthington. I feel like has more gravitas than than either Liam Hemsworth or Jesse T. Usher show in this film. Sam Worthington I, in Terminator Salvation. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I would argue, guys, right. that fifty million dollars for Will Smith to be in these movies is a bargain. Yes, because <laughs> what we're seeing with this movie's performance at the box office, he, he Will Smith would have easily injected fifty million dollars. Would have been worth it. Yeah, there yeah. there would have been a multiplier there in terms of like box office if he had just been in this again, even yep. if it, he was just in it to die, you know, like or something. But anyway, back to what I was saying, like I. This movie doesn't feel as good like getting into it as the first one, but I really like I, I kinda enjoyed the world building. I like the idea that they're playing with this universe. Oh, we had this alien technology for twenty years. What's what's gonna happen there? And I, I guess we made a lot of progress, guys, because that technology is everywhere. It is in ships, it's in like uh so many vehicles. We're on the moon, we're in we're, we have like a base around Saturn. Like that's I, I, the fun of Independence Day, right? The fun of Independence Day is no, no, but I'm be- saying for me, that's yeah. part of the fun of it. Seeing this thing built up. Um, yeah, and the, then, the world, the yeah. quote unquote world building elements were kind yes. of interesting. In some yeah, ways. it's like yeah. okay, we're gonna because it didn't seem in the first movie that they ever thought beyond that first movie. Like, who are these aliens? What do they? What do they really want? They it there was some letters to it, but it doesn't matter. They never even really had names. There was no like civilization there. They were just a threat to destroy Earth and unite Earth and get that speech from Bill Pullman at the end. Like that was it. And now they're trying to do a little more with it. I found that kind of fascinating and. Uh, I enjoyed seeing some of these characters again. I didn't think I would, but I liked seeing, um, you know, the evolution of Jeff Goldblum's character, uh, the return of Brent Spiner's character, who has a lot of things to do in this movie. I think he has more lines and more screen time than pretty much any other lead, too. Like, he is more the main character of this movie, and he's more essential to the plot than, uh, you know, the Will Smith replacement or Liam Hemsworth, too. Um, So I enjoyed those bits. And I know, like... The special effects don't feel as tactile as the first movie, especially like when we had models for certain things. But uh, the look of this movie, I, I th- yes, it's just another big ass spaceship. You know, we're doing the Death Star thing again from Force Awakens. It's bigger, it's badder, it's going to cause more damage. Uh, but I, uh, there, there's a scene of like that, the big alien ship approaching. And uh, I, I don't even know if this is spoiler, I should say, but it picks up one city. <laughs> and it effectively drops it on another. And I was like, this is this is kind of fun. 
I, I enjoy seeing this, and I enjoy, <laughs> like, you could tell that Roland Emmerich, like, as a guy who has destroyed many things in his life and who really has to sit back and ask himself, how am I going to, how am I going to destroy things this time? It felt like that was kind of a fun way to do it. Um, halfway through the movie, though, like, once we get into some of the greater plot, uh, <laughs> and there's, like, of course, the big third act battle, which felt really short for some reason, <laughs> I did start to, like, fall asleep. Like, I was falling asleep while people were screaming and while there was loud noises. So... I can understand why people are having some fun with this movie. Like, my wife liked it. My mother-in-law liked it. But it's not a smart movie. But it, for, like, to me, it feels, like, on the same level of the first movie, right? Big, dumb fun. If that's not your sort of thing, yeah, just don't watch it. But it, it is the sort of thing that will probably be a crowd pleaser. I tried yeah. not to watch it, guys. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of that city dropping on another city thing, Devendra, I also watched something this week in which the UK was subjected to a cataclysmic disaster. But enough about Brexit, guys! Boom! I was actually expecting much more from that, but okay. Yeah, you really it should is, gone farther on that. Another interesting thing about... Celebrating movie, their Independence Day, Dave. I mean, mm, come on. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You can really see, uh, again, like so many movies we're seeing these uh, this year, the investment from China... Very oh evident. my gosh! It's Very so it's, it's so, so like it's there. so it's obvious, hilarious. and also like down to the uh, product placement of the moon yes. milk. Moon it's, milk. <laughs> that's it's gonna hilarious. some some milk company in China paid millions of dollars for that placement. Uh, to be the, but also like the the base commander on the moon is like a Chinese general. Uh, the, there's a, there's a one of the fighter pilots is like a hot young hotshot you know chinese actress and it's uh there there's so much respect there like it, it's funny it's just really funny to me it's like oh i see where the money is coming from now um and we could talk some more about that in spoilers too yeah uh i'll just say a few things about this film uh that hasn't already been said and then we can continue i think the thing that the single thing that bothered me most <laughs> about this movie was how dumb it was compared to the first one, which was already first quite dumb. Pretty dumb. Which is Come already on. quite dumb, as we've discussed. Yeah. But the idea that you have these massive city-sized spaceships coming <laughs> in, right, in the first this film. Is a, this is continent-sized. In, yeah, 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 yeah. so in the first film, in the first yeah. film, you have city-sized spaceships, and they yes. come in, and then, okay, they have a weak point, and maybe... We can figure the out a way to like it's giant glowing hole. Yeah, yes. this giant glowing hole. Maybe we can figure out a way to, to defeat them by a weak point, and okay. <laughs> That's pretty stupid, but okay, all right, maybe it's possible. Who knows? Here you have a spaceship that is the size of the United States that just, you know, comes onto a planet, just starts ruining things left and right. And, you know, it's not a – I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the reason that the ship is kind of invading our space is because it wants to extract the energy from Earth's core. The molten core. It's so it galactus. It doesn't give yeah. a crap about anything that's on the surface, right? It just wants what's in the core. Which and you can get from most planets. Come on, guys. So, A, Come yeah, on. like, like what's, what's wrong with planets that uh, don't have life Isn't on them? Isn't it much easier well, just to, just uh, to t- yeah, extract from other planets? And secondly, has, there's a little revenge action. Like, it clearly, <laughs> yes, rem- yes. the beginning of the movie, it makes it seem like it remembers how we fucked them last time. Yeah, yeah. I like how the humans were like, we were ready for this. We have a solar system array. Like, we, are, <laughs> we have all these warnings. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that in spoilers. I can't wait to talk with you guys about that. But the uh, anyway, my point being that these aliens have starship technology that allows them to build uh, continental-sized spaceships. They could wipe out humanity with 
literally it would take yeah. them 30 minutes to to just yeah. completely eliminate every human on earth and then just a lot easier yeah and then just dig in peace right mm-hmm. <laughs> and they and they choose not to do that for some reason so and also they 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 plant themselves above asia and then europe and not the like uh, superpower of the world. <laughs> yeah, come on, you the country the, that destroyed them. You might as well come at the the greatest country in the history of the world, guys. America <laughs> we took you down with a computer <laughs> virus. Come on, like that's the country to attack. Indeed. Yeah, we, we are led to believe that the queen of this colony is has got Bill Pullman's speech on repeat as she drives <laughs> to our planet, and yet they don't attack America. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean. They're just stupid aliens, okay? They're stupid. They're, aliens. Stupid. They're not very smart. They're stupid, even though they can build this amazing starship technology. They're stupid. It's a hive mind. If that hive is dumb, then everyone's dumb, okay? There, there is a, a – you know, I, I talked about Matt Singer's review about this film at Screen Crush. And apparently at the end of the film, someone at his screening uh, stood up and then Matt Singer transcribed what they yelled out loud. They yelled, <laughs> bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> I want my motherfucking money back. In in 38 years, that was that is the worst movie I have ever seen in my entire life. What the fuck was that? We just watched a fucking preview. And uh, <laughs> I didn't have quite that level of yeah. emotional A.O. reaction. Scott is getting really dirty in his uh, yeah. In his yeah what, A.O. Scott is now mentally imbalanced, it seems. No, but... Yeah. Um, uh, this uh, film is basically a retread of, of the first film to yeah. set up for what appears to be a much more interesting third film. And that third film, unfortunately, may never come because this film <laughs> was a bad retread of the, of the first film, right? And uh, it is very emblematic of all the problems with blockbuster filmmaking today. Yeah. Crazy editing, uh, horrible product placement, Chinese people unnecessarily inserted into places everywhere. No, I'm just. We kidding. don't need Chinese people. I don't mind. Come on. I, I don't mind that last bit. But uh, and then just all this build up to a yes. sequel that may never come. Uh, yeah, and, and also it it shits the third act. Like I don't mind the build up <laughs> just fine if like you give me a complete a complete big dumb action movie and like this movie gets to the point where ugh, we could talk about that in spoilers. Yeah, but it right, doesn't I- it doesn't go where you fully wanted to in a third act. It just kind of wastes it. Jeff, you're going to say before we get to spoilers? Now, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with the (laughs) fact that I understand that this movie is only interested in being a popcorn film, right? I understand that it only wants to be big and dumb. But there was an opportunity here to actually be really interesting. Yep. Mm -hmm. We have this giant attack that happened on our soil and now it's 20 years later the parallels to 911 mm-hmm. could have been really poignant and interesting where you have an entire new generation of people that have grown up only after that tragedy has happened and enough time has gone by where people don't really it doesn't really reflect on their lives day to day right like We've come so far enough from 9-11 where we can have movies where the whole world blows up again, right? So it's not as immediate. There's a whole generation of kids that sort of don't have any personal memory of that moment. 
you could I, be you could talk about that stuff. They, they're, yeah. This movie could there, there's be, a bit of that though. Like I like the the isn't. table setting for this movie is that 20 years later. By the way, world peace because we have a common enemy now because humanity is so screwed up that the only way we will stop fighting each other is if we have something else to they fight go against. Completely kind of, nowhere with that though. Yeah. I mean, it is it is a, a throwaway line of exposition of like we have world peace. Let's have a parade and. <laughs> Or a you know a Memorial Day or whatever it's it's celebration so day wasted and it could have it could have really you have this franchise that twenty years ago was in a completely different paradigm culturally and yeah. now you could actually use this movie franchise as a way to comment on that and how things have changed and where we are it, it actually could have been about something and it could have been really powerful and they don't yeah. give a fuck about any of that. I mean that. it's hard to do when you have like five credited screenwriters and even more names yeah. in the story section like this so many names uh, Dean Devlin also gets some credit in this again um, but yeah man what a mess alright let's get to spoilers for Independence Day Resurgence starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're gonna see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking I have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want Work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. The biggest mystery of this movie is how the hell does Judd Hirsch still be alive? Still be alive. (laughs) Why is he driving on the salt flats? Why is he driving on the salt flats? Well, I guess he said, like, randomly, oh, I guess I'll go hang out with my son because it's the safest place to be because going to a military base in in the middle of an alien invasion is smart. Uh, but yeah, that. What, how is he alive? There. Let's bring children to the military base. Let's bring a whole school bus full of like, yeah, plot devices, basically. You got to protect them. Of, of tiny walking plot devices. Yes. I think where I really jumped off the film was in the early stages when <laughs> this uh, massive sphere shows up out yes. of nowhere, and our reaction is let's nuke it out of the sky because well that that actually that seemed like that's what humans would do. it seems like what humans would do but I, it just it was so dismaying because guys these people clearly have technology on an order of magnitude beyond anything that we possess yes. why would you try to antagonize them you know like the, yeah. your only path forward is negotiating peace if you're lucky you know uh, anyway that's a very minor. No, I, I I totally agree, and I think I like the the conflict in Sailor Ward <laughs> as the president here is like uh, I hope we did the right thing because even she admits like I I don't know I but I could they, tell you yeah. immediately that you didn't you know like yeah, I am not a smart dude. Sent, Go yeah. ahead, Jeff. From our previous experience, they definitely only sent one ship that goes down super easy. <laughs> yeah, they, it's so it's, it's stupid. So it's amazing. Stupid. Yeah, yeah, it's so stupid. But I, I also, it also feels like a commentary of how stupid we are as a military culture. So I don't know. Like it felt not not to say that this movie is as good as Starship Troopers, but that like rah rah military celebration after destroying this thing they don't understand. And Jeff Goldblum's like, hey hey guys, what do you, what did you just do? Like if if another character is aware of how stupid the other characters are being, then I think that's the movie trying to say something. So you are a giant fifty foot tall. Alien Queen. Yes, I am. Everything you build and make is perfectly human size. Every, <laughs> sure. All of the technology you've got, all of the like, she has a giant gun for some reason, but all of her Jeff, work- her her operating system was compatible with the Mac in the night. <laughs> right. So I think I think at this point, all logic is out the window in terms how of how like horrible that is your life if you live in a world where you are. 
an order of magnitude bigger than everything in on your planet. Yeah. Sex must be rough. My biggest uh, beef with this film was that there is this crew of uh, people out in the middle of the ocean yep. that just happened to be next yep. to the massive drill. Treasure hunters. And, and they, they're they like, it's we Ethan need you Drake. to keep track of how close this is getting to the Earth's core. Yes. You know, if you if the Earth was a basketball, then the crust, like the... the the crust would be probably the the width of I don't know a couple of sheets of paper, you know. Right. So there's right. so much of Earth that we just have never had access to, uh, and the idea that these people could tell how close they were getting to the Earth's core they have radar, Dave was stupid. They have radar, it was and stupid. Sonar. Although that that's one of the more fun scenes of the movie is when when they say like, like oh, hundred yeah, million dollars, yeah, yeah, pay us hundred million dollars, and they get the call back. It's like oh well, not that money means anything in the entire <laughs> in the, world in the post-apocalyptic up. future. Yeah. But yeah. that that was kind of funny. Like that's a, that's the level that this movie works on, you know. Yeah. By the way, uh, <laughs> good luck get, making good on that deal. Like, <laughs> if someone says I need a hundred million dollars to prevent the end of the world, I go yeah. okay, deal. And 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 I don't give a fuck whether or not like talk to me next Tuesday when either the Earth is here or it's not. <laughs> Everyone you made that deal with was also blown up. So. Also, I like how yeah. I like how the uh, alien ship has like an autopilot. When the queen yes. dies, it just yeah. leaves. It doesn't. They, they, well, they or, assumed it no, or freaking it, impact the orbit of the Earth, that. or like they actually explained they, that they said the other queens pull them back. No, I know, I know they explained it, but it just it makes no sense. I like how the yeah Jeff Goldblum has an understanding of how this alien system works because he's Jeff Goldblum. Like that's the yeah. only reason. Like we saw the first movie, oh they left, and we destroyed it this time. Oh, this one leaves. I guess we have nothing to worry about. So yeah, it's hilarious. What is and why we we are let we are told over and over that the sphere can't do shit for us. Yes, but the queen is so terrified of this thing that they send <laughs> symbols constantly, terrified of this thing <laughs> that they can't do shit. And by the way, now evidently there's like a mental link between the aliens and us that is that. Well, that happened from the first movie, right? Bill Pullman was like, you got he headache. was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he had like an alien vibe now. It's like, and that's the sort of thing I actually kind of enjoy that the movie is at least doing something with that mythology and kind of going a little more. I don't know what the hell, like, there's that whole plot line about like that uh, warlord who also joins everybody for the mission. Uh, don't know what the hell was going on there, but it was kind of interesting to see like a whole civilization, like a whole society who had a close link to the alien. Yeah, like that that seemed yeah. like a far more interesting movie. Yes. Uh, yes. Is, is these guys like hunting the aliens and vice versa? Yeah. Uh, I, I would have preferred guy, to see. Yeah. I'd have preferred to see that movie. But speaking of yes. movies that I would prefer to see, uh, <laughs> I have never, I, I can't remember seeing a film so brazen in setting up a sequel. Yes. At the end of it. It's like, well, hey, guys, we're going to go take down the, the alien things now. Smash cut to end credits. It's, I, I just – it's rare. We see that all the time where they set it up. But it's just – this is particularly They were egregious really example. on the nose about it, yeah. yeah. I mean, I also, is, is that I, a movie that you guys want to see is the question. I actually kind of want to see it. So I understand why. Jeff I, I would want to see it if I didn't hadn't seen these two. Yeah. And, and, like, I, <laughs> yeah. The idea of a giant intergalactic space war is a fun – like a, I don't know, like a war in the stars, you know, yes. like like a, a war a, in the stars. I, yeah, a, a, trek a war of stars. stars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like movies about wars in the stars. Yes. Um, so in the abstract, I think that would be a really fun movie. <laughs> but also, guys, where else can Roland Emmerich go? Like he has destroyed Earth so many times. He needs new planets. He needs new solar systems to invade. 
and I want to see what he does with that. Um, but the the bigger problem is that yeah, the like this movie didn't need like what six to nine different credited screenwriters. Like if yeah. if they focused and actually gave a shit, like maybe that would be a fun movie to watch. Also, the the other reason I'm not excited about that sequel is because every moment of space battling is cacophonous and i don't know it's so messy you can't tell the good ships from the bad ships and there's nothing happening it's just a sea of lasers all around and then (laughs) shot of cockpit a person explaining to us what's happening in the scene we solved this in battlestar galactica like we solved the whole doing large-scale dogfighting well on tv come on but but the, the action itself does not communicate anything yes it only it only we only know what's happening because we cut inside the cockpit and then a mm-hmm. character tells us what is happening. Oh my god, we need to do this. Oh my god, I'm about It is there is no moment in the actual choreography of the action yep. sequence that is yep. makes any of that clear. It wasn't so, interesting or fun to watch. It's just like a mess, which is why like I tweeted earlier like uh one of one of our listeners considers the first Independence Day to be like his Star Wars. And I could see even kids watching well, they've already have actual Star Wars, but I could see people watching this who aren't really into genre movies and be like, "Oh, this is cool! Look at look at these spaceships flying around." But it is a dumbed down version of like a genre movie, right? Because nothing really means anything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also, what was Charlotte Gainsbourg doing in this film? Um, <laughs> that is, you know, a, was anybody doing in this movie? She's an alien translator. It's just crazy to see an indie film darling yes. in a big budget blockbuster. It's like seeing yeah. like uh, she's got to pay rent, bro. Helen Mirren in like Red or something like that. It's like what? Yeah. What is? What are they? You know, and, and her character, I don't feel like really adds that much. Like, is was that character really necessary? I guess kind oh. of as a romantic interest for uh, Jeff Goldblum's character. But what happened to his ex-wife? From the first exactly. film. Who the president was also into. That was <laughs> yeah. the fight there, right? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Uh, also, yeah. I, I really like Micah Monroe. I'm kind of sad that we didn't get... Uh, oh, there's you know, all this so much. Uh, angst over Micah Monroe replacing Mae Whitman. Because Mae Whitman's right there. She's right there. She's... Hire her. People were saying, oh, this is, this is a sad commentary in our times, guys, about how we need to replace, you know... A very talented actor with a more attractive actor who might be as talented. Uh, Mae Whitman dodged a bullet, guys. Like, she, this, <laughs> I, I think her bank account would have appreciated this. The, the Micah Monroe character is just completely wasted in this it's film. It's totally like, wasted. Nothing... Most, of those char- most of those characters are wasted. Like, what are, <laughs> what are any of those soldiers doing? Exactly. Like, throughout half of the movie, <laughs> like, I, I actually kind of like that it set up this bit of drama between, like, uh, the, the two pilot dudes and, uh, and her. Um, I thought that was, almost, aw- I thought that was awful, Devendra. I just, uh, the idea, it's, oh, it's you, something, Dave. You went you're, you're rogue on a tra- for, You're asking for human stakes in this movie. You, you went like, rogue like on a training exercise, and then for yeah. some reason he's, like, pissed for the rest of his life. And then does that pay off? You know, like, no. for some reason he's pissed? <laughs> like, because uh, the the Will Smith stepson, like, he, he has a reason to be pissed. I, I would say it. It all. It, I know they they could have done something interesting there, but they bring all this up, and yeah, nothing nothing happens with any of those. It's characters. So bad. All of the action beats are bad. I think. What well, the end with the queen and she creates this tornado of spaceships for why? So that they could when they come down from the from the top of the tornado, none of the spaceships react in any way. Yes. The spaceships are just going in circles around our queen because that does anything. It, it, it is so stupid on every level. There's nothing that makes any goddamn sense in this movie. 
and I hate it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way of yeah wrapping it up for today, guys. Wrapping it up. Well, I, I, I like. <laughs> I can understand why people will have fun with this movie because, like, unlike a lot of other big like mainstream blockbusters, I, the things are pretty. Actors actors are vaguely interesting to watch. Like. <laughs> that, that, there you go. That's Things the are thing. pretty. Things Actors are pretty. Are vaguely interesting to watch. That's that's the appeal. <laughs> Amazing of endorsement of independence. I'm barely endorsing this movie. I'm just telling you why normal people may enjoy it. I guess, but also nothing like is, nothing is pretty. I don't think anything <laughs> is effectively done. Even the even the the chaos of the <laughs> world destroying stuff doesn't. That looked, nothing that looked kind of interesting. Like the the, the really. idea of like this this alien you know ship coming over and like oh oh well there's no more gravity like the, these people are just like floating in the air now and then dropping in another city. It was cool. I would have liked more of that. That's all. <laughs> Davindra wants to see more death in his film. I do yeah. want to see more death yeah. and destruction. Roll Nemrick, do your thing. Let your freak flag fly. All right. Well, just get better screenwriters. That's going to bring us to the end of our review of. Independence Day Resurgence. Um, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. And in the meantime, where can people find more of your work on the internet, Jeff Kanata? You can follow me on, on the Twitters at Jeff Kanata. Uh, I do several shows, one of which is a video game show called DLC. That's at 5by5.tv slash DLC. I do a comedy show called We Have Concerns. That's at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do a tech show called Tomorrow Daily on CNET. That's at tomorrowdaily.com. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech and gadget.com. And find all my stuff at davechen.me and watch my film The Primary Instinct, which is on Hulu right now. Next week, we are going to be discussing Swiss Army Man, which is probably about as far away as you can get from Independence Day Resurgence as possible. Um, so stay tuned for that. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us. Let us know what you thought of Independence Day at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We'll see you guys next week. Have a happy 4th of July.